Well, thanks for tuning into the Murphology Podcast. I'm your host, Kathy, a.k.a. Murph, and I'm here to give you tips and information about group bicycling and bicycle touring with a focus on the Midwest and hopefully provide some entertainment for you as well. Well, on the show today is Heather. Hi, Heather. Hello, hello. Check, check. Should I check my mic? Check, it's, check, check. It's checked. It's checked. <laughs> Well, Heather spent a blip of her life living in Cedar Rapids, and I was lucky enough to meet her when she lived in the same condo complex. We shared a love of dogs and wine and quickly discovered we both love adventure and being outdoors. And I would say we have been on countless bicycle rides, and I'm happy to have her on the show. Well, let's get started. All right, Heather? Let's do this. All right. Well, think back to earlier in your life. How did you get into bicycling? Well, let's see. I'm actually from small town Iowa, Sigourney. Shout out to Sigourney. And, of course, back in the day, I don't want to date myself, but every kid, I well, just about every kid had a bike. And we rode bikes all over town, and it was the main um, source of transportation. Sure. And back then, um, in case you were wondering what kind of bike I had, yeah, I had the purple daisy bike with the wonderful banana seat Ooh. with colorful daisies on it and tassels coming off the handlebars. Oh, I hear that makes you much, much faster as a kid. It, whoo, aerodynamic. <laughs> what was it called? The daisy? Yeah, it was the Daisy. It might have been the Huffy Daisy, Ooh, yeah. but it was Daisy. It had colorful daisies all over it. So not to uh, one-up you, but I had also had a bicycle with a banana seat, and mine was called Miss America, and it was red, white, and blue. Well, well, well. <laughs> but Did it play music too? No, it didn't, but I will tell you that my, my lovely brother, a shout-out to the other Murph in the family, he used to um, sing me a song about Miss America and that it was a hunk of junk. So I'm sure if I sang the song, he would right away go, oh my gosh, I've never ever heard that song in my life. But he he sang it almost every day when I was on my Miss America. Well, that's too bad. I bet Miss, Miss America felt horrible about that. <laughs> but oh, the rise I had on that bike. So I know exactly what you're talking about. And were you, um, if you're in a small town, were you uh, pedaling on gravel, or were you mostly in town? We had cement in Sigourney, but, uh, well, then we moved a little bit out of town, but it was still, it was on a highway. Oh, good. But that's oh, geez, when I, a highway. Yeah. Uh, well, just a little bit on a highway, and I graduated at that time to a yellow Schwinn. Oh. 10 speed. Nice. Nice. Yes. Well, when you look fast forward to today, um, I'm guessing that you don't pedal the Daisy or the Yellow Schwinn, but what kind of bicycling do you do for fun? If I'm going out for just fun, I am on my road bike, the AKA the Lemon. The Lemon. The Lemon. Um, but living in Arizona, I've been meaning to get a new mountain bike. I love, love, love to mountain bike, mm -hmm. but I just... Because of all the other things that I've been doing, I just haven't had a real big chance to, to get out on my mountain bike. Plus, it is from 19, it's an old specialized vintage from 
about 1992. And you still have that bike? I still do. She's an oldie but a goodie. <laughs> and it just goes to show you, a bicycle, I mean, it can last forever if you even take care of it take care of it marginally. Even if you make sure those tires are pumped up and there's grease on the chain, you can still ride it. Well, and plus all the memories. It's really yeah. hard to give up bikes. I just, our garage, we look and say, we should really get, you know, try to sell that. But oh, the memories. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, and speaking of that mountain bike, am I correct in saying that you tried out uh, cyclocross with that bike? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, as a matter of fact, I entered into an open, I, I think it was an open or beginner, whatever. I'd never done cyclocross in my life, right? but said, let's go for it. I'll do the adventure. Mind you, my this mountain bike weighs about 20 pounds or more. <laughs> And I had to carry that thing. Oh, geez, I lost a shoe in the mud. But oh, boy, did I have a blast. That was oh so much fun. So and I think it stayed muddy for pretty much uh, two years after that. Oh, the bike itself? Yes. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yes. <laughs> Do you remember that? I think we cleaned it off a little bit. But then it was up in my condo and it was still a disaster. Oh, geez. Yeah. Well, I didn't. If I remember right, um, there was somebody at the next tent over that just felt bad for the bike. And so he took it and kind of <laughs> hosed it off a little bit for you. And I also remember when we left, there was a pair of muddy shoes that you left in the mud. So I don't know how that happened, but um, it certainly was an adventure. <laughs> well, looking at now, you mentioned you live in Arizona. So um, besides being hot... What kind of bike culture do they have there? There's a huge bike culture, everything from um, fast road racing teams to um, the triathlon um, group. Uh, there's three different clubs and huge, huge. And then there are a lot of pros that come down to Arizona during our fabulous fall and winter and spring season mm -hmm. to train there's all people hold all kinds of training camps um down here for cycling triathlon um all of that there's you can go out any day of the week out on your bike ride whether it's for a for a half hour ride to an hour ride and you will see tons of cyclists and that was going to be my next question is are there cool places to ride that don't involve traffic like vehicle traffic now that's it definitely mountain biking there's mm -hmm. amazing mountains to mountain bike but um it, for for road cycling and triathlon cycling training um you're at least in phoenix you're dealing with a lot of traffic mm -hmm. and when you go down to tucson if you want to climb do some climbing down there it's not as much traffic but there's still yes dealing with cars is always a pain mm -hmm. and I've done a tiny bit of cycling in your area and if I recall there was always really nice big shoulders yes that so, is for sure so you'd be fighting traffic you know at intersections and such but I just felt like 
um, I didn't feel like I was on the verge of being hit by a car all the whole time. It was. It seemed that there was plenty of space for both cyclists and vehicles. And that is true. And they also keep the the bike lanes very well maintained. Oh, good. And any new roads that are being um, newly paved or um, into these new developments, they all have fabulous bike lanes. Mm. So that's definitely a bonus. Yeah, that's huge. We have bike lanes where I live, but most of them are full of potholes and debris. This is true. I I do remember those. (laughs) Yes. I do remember those. (laughs) Well, this podcast is, you know, meant to be about group riding and touring. And I know you've done plenty of that. So could you describe to the listeners maybe a couple of the rides that you've been part of? Well, of course, the best and most famous would be Ragbri, which for anybody that has thought about um, doing Ragbri or have heard about it and are intrigued, let me say, put it on your, and this is in all caps, must do list. (laughs) And it is amazing. And Ragbri comes up almost every episode because it's just, it's so far with the people that I've interviewed, it's kind of one of the way that we're all connected. But it's also when it comes to Midwest, like you said, it just can't be beat. You have to at least experience it once or for me, 20 plus times and for you, many, many times. There's just absolutely nothing like it. And I try to explain it to people. And and I think sometimes that people forget that it's not just people from Iowa right. that do rag bright. People come from all over the world, actually. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, now, another group ride that you've talked about quite a bit um, when we've talked in the past is a group ride that you do up a, I think it's a mountain, Mount Lemon. Is that literally Mount- a mountain? It is, and it is in Tucson, Arizona. Okay. And we load up cars, and we head down there very early and get started on the mountain. And it is absolutely beautiful. It's breathtaking, Mm -hmm. but it's also relentless. Uh. It is – it's – there are some very steep grades – but it's it's just constant. And you look up ahead and it looks like you're going to get a little bit of a break. So you breathe a sigh of relief and then you come around the corner and no, you're still going up. <laughs> but it's it's definitely worth it when you get up to the cookie cabin and you sit down. You have either a giant cookie or a slice of pizza Ooh, wow. before. Yes, before that's your reward. Okay. Before starting on the bite your nails breaks on <laughs> descent. <laughs> I yeah, I hills are I'm not a big fan of hills, but I think I would rather do the hill than the going downhill and being on the brakes the whole time. I would just be terrified. And that's me too. And sometimes I'll the let's see, I've done it four times now and I keep telling myself, trust. Just trust, mm-hmm. let it out a little bit, let it out a little bit. And then I look over the edge and I'm like, I'm not letting it. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to keep holding on. And it's hard for me. I mean, of course, I've been to Colorado. I've been to Arizona. I've seen mountains before, even though you 
remind me all the time that you are surrounded <laughs> by mountains. But what we have here in Cedar Rapids is a mountain of trash that was turned into a recreation site. So when I'm climbing the mountain here in Cedar Rapids, it's <laughs> literally <laughs> 200 feet of climb. And then I'm at the top. That's it. <laughs> and it's, but at least it's a mountain. <laughs> but it is a mountain. Of trash. And to get up to the top, you have to go on gravel, and it's incredibly steep. And then the downhill portion is, um, it's meant for mountain bikes. So it's like a, you know, a curvy, jumpy, go around berms. And, and that takes about four minutes. So I, I'm very jealous of your opportunities to climb mountains. But also, when you were here, we we climbed the whole time out. Yeah. Remember, we turned the corner and you said, is it windy or are we kind of going up a hill? And I said, <laughs> it's everywhere you go until we turn around and come back, it's a false flat. You don't realize that you're constantly climbing. And then we went up Dynamite and that's a heck of a climb. When we went up Dynamite Road. Oh, that's not a mountain, though? We were not a mountain? Maybe? Well, it's the beginning of a mountain. Oh, okay. I'll take that. <laughs> okay, so when you're not biking for fun, which I don't know that we could qualify Mount Lemon and some of those other mountain rides that you just mentioned, fun. But when you're not biking for fun, you're biking as a form of training for events, right? Yes. So tell Crazy us. Crazy as it is. Tell us a little bit about that. I attempt triathlons, um, 70.3s and, and Ironmans. And so a lot of my time uh, previously, right now I'm on a bit of a hiatus training for something else, which we can t will talk about. Um, but I am out on my triathlon bike, mm -hmm. uh, putting in many, many, many miles and, and doing all that fun stuff like looking at power and my watts and mm -hmm. my miles per hour. And sometimes it's, it's fun. There is fun in that aspect. Mm -hmm. And sometimes as we know, it's work right? and, and isn't so fun, right. but um, I'm addicted to triathlons. So I guess that's better than some other addictions. Sure. Sure. And uh, I know that um, long before I knew you, you've been competing in triathlons. Uh, how long would you say you've been doing it? Years and years and years, but um, some breaks in between. Mm -hmm. um, but I actually went to a, some friends convinced me to go to this little triathlon um, in Sioux City, Iowa, when I lived there. And I really loved changing the sports, you know, doing all three. And then when I moved to Dallas, I did a couple around there. And then um, Kansas City started doing, I was just running marathons. And then I had a friend that said, why don't you do this triathlon? And mm -hmm. um, then I kind of got hooked from there and then just increased in distance. And now it's really hard to go back now that I've done the, the, too big, the half and the full Ironman. It's kind of hard to go back to, mm -hmm. you know, the the smaller distances because I sure as heck don't know how. Oh, is this G rated? Can I swear or is that? <laughs> if you need to swear, you can swear. Okay. Um, 
I I am definitely not a sprinter. I'm definitely I can go a long way for a long time. Uh-huh. Um, but every once in a while, I'll think about throwing one of those in. But I I think I started um, dabbling in triathlon back in 1994. Wow. It would have been 1994. Wow. Yeah. That's a so. that's a long time to be, even if you're not actively training at all times for triathlon, that's a long time to have that, um, that spirit of, okay, I'm going to run a marathon after I bike a hundred some miles <laughs> after I swim across a huge lake. Like it, it's mind boggling to me. It is, but I, um, I can't even tell you the feeling when hopefully you get Mike Riley, the famous announcer for Ironman, when he says your name, when you cross the finish line and just even coming down that finish shoot as with anything really like when you've set a goal and you put in the training and you, you know, it, it, takes a large part of your life but when you make that goal just like anything in life there's absolutely nothing like it yeah yeah and actually that was my next question was um like how much time do you think you spend training when you're deep into an event whether it's a half Ironman or a full Ironman I mean is it like a part-time job yeah it definitely is for a half um when I'm at peak training I'm probably at about um, 16 to 17 hours a week. Mm. Um, ooh, maybe more than that. Let's say 20. Wow. Um, and also with training, I include within that time, not just swimming, biking and running, but preventative stretching massage. Sure. That, that all takes time too. And, and you have to keep up on that stuff or, you know, disaster can strike does washing your bike is that included in there um let's see i'm gonna guess no well lucky enough to have somebody in my household and i'm not talking about my canine um (laughs) that loves to wash bikes so he's your bike washer i hand that task actually i don't even ask oh and it just gets, I don't even realize how gross my bike gets. He he wants to keep my bike nice and sharp. That's awesome. So when you look at all this training, um, how would you describe your mental game? Because that's got to be a major factor in the actual event itself. It's, I would say, and I, I think, I, I would almost say up to... Um, 90% of triathletes would also agree that the, the mental game is, is huge. When you think about, I'm no pro, so I'm out on the course for, you know, 13 and a half, 14 hours, barring no setbacks, you know, quick transition, um, all of those things. And that's a lot of time to spend by yourself, pushing yourself to limits that you didn't know you had. Um, 
and just to keep going yeah. because I'm not going to lie. It hurts. Right. But it's a good hurt. It's a good hurt. But you definitely, especially when you're, I've had some really, really long rides by myself. And of course you're not wearing headphones. Mm-hmm. You're, it's just you and your bike and your my. you know, you're just thinking and, um, Sometimes I play a song in my head Ooh, nice. with my yeah. headphones. Yeah. Um, and I've solved a couple of the world's problems, mm-hmm. um, but nobody listens. Um, <laughs> or you forget by the time you get back home, you're like, ah, exactly. it was great. It was going to be great, but I forgot. Exactly. And I'll tell you, as long as there's pizza in the fridge for when I get done with a long bike during heavy training, everything is golden. <laughs> I know a couple people that uh, live and breathe on uh, the prize being pizza. So I understand. And sometimes an ice cold beer. It depends on what I've got going on the next day. Sure, sure. Well, speaking of the next day, do you have any bicycle adventures on the horizon or races you have your mind set to do in the next, I don't know, six months here? Well, I have an epic hike coming up. That will be joining me on. Yes, we are doing a hike in the Grand Canyon, and it's called Rim to River and Back, which, you know, that sounds pretty cool. It's like, I think it's nine miles each way, but we are with a crew that is planning to do it all in one day. So like you mentioned, you know, you probably are a little bit focused on training right now because that is... Uh, quite a feat to do in one day. It is. And I, I know that's some serious stuff when you, cause I love to hike going out for a hike is, you know, when I'm not training, that's our Sunday thing to take the dog and go hike the mountains around here. But 18 miles in one day, that's not going to be some, you know, skip and jump in the park. That's <laughs> well, and you know, in 18 miles, um, I've done one marathon in my life, and that's probably the extent of my marathons. You know, doing a marathon just on flat, you know, here in Iowa, I mean, that was quite an ordeal. But all I can think about is, okay, this isn't a marathon. It's 18 miles, but it's like 5,000 feet of elevation down and then 5,000 feet back up. So that's, um, it's going to be quite a day. I'm really excited about it. And I'm telling you, I actually think training for the descent is the hardest. Mm -hmm. And I would much rather go, just like climbing on a bike, I would much rather climb the mountain than come down. Yeah. And it's, you know, you're using all those different muscles. You, when I was climbing Tom's Thumb yesterday and the descent, I was like, ooh, my hips are saying, Go back up. <laughs> or your hips are saying, get on your bike. Don't, don't That's hike. That's exactly. <laughs> uh, well, back to bicycling. Um, so let's say, you know, you run into somebody who you're just meeting for the first time and, you know, they don't think that they can ride bikes, you know, whether it's um, racing or socializing or, you know, going to the local bar for a drink. Like they don't think they can bike. What what advice would you give those people or that person? And you know, it's, I always say you're never too old to learn how to do anything. 
and riding a bike. I do know some people that, you know, oh, I didn't grow up riding a bike. I didn't have a bike as a little kid. Mm. Well, there's nothing like the freedom of getting on your bike, clearing your head. You can go anywhere. Oh, for sure. You know, do anything on your bike. And it's just a matter of getting started. And just like with triathlon, when people say, oh, I could never do that. I say, find somebody that can teach you swimming, biking, or, you know, running, get like a coach. Because lucky you, you haven't learned all the bad habits. So you can get a fresh start. And just, I constantly say, when when you're on a bike, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. For sure. It's very, yeah, it's, it's very peaceful for me to be on a bicycle, whether I am going uh, down Mount Trashmore or <laughs> going, you know, on the trail by myself or, you know, one of my favorite things to do is group riding, which is why this podcast exists is just to be able to talk about, um, you know, like you going up Mount Lemon, you probably suffer quite a bit, but when you get to the top for your cookie or your piece of pizza, you've got um, team members or people that were riding up with you to get up there and talk about how great or how ugly it was. <laughs> oh, it, exactly. It's, it's so fun. And as you keep doing it and you improve and all of that. And, but I, I will tell you, even though the riding in Arizona is amazing, especially during our snowbird season, <laughs> I definitely miss the, uh, Cedar Valley Trail mm-hmm. in Cedar Rapids. And unfortunately, uh, here in Arizona, I can't ride my bike to work like I did every day oh, in Cedar Rapids. Yeah, yeah. And like you mentioned, the Cedar Valley Nature Trail, that goes well beyond Cedar Rapids. It's like a 50 mile trail, but it's going to be connected to the Rails to Trails. Um, which which will be all the way across the United States. So, um, you know, I talk about Cedar Rapids and how great it is for cycling um, quite a bit. You know, we don't have mountains to see, but we do have all kinds of great terrain. So it'll be so nice when that Rails to Trails is public and people are really excited about coming through and they'll see Iowa and be like, oh my gosh, it's it's much more than Interstate 80 <laughs> as they drive well, through. And- isn't it funny the the trail and then guaranteed on Ragbri, you will hear a gazillion people say, "I had no idea a Iowa was this beautiful, and b that Iowa is so hilly." Right. It just <laughs> cracks me up. Right. I agree. Um, and that is a fun part of Ragbri is hearing, like you mentioned, people from all over the world come to Iowa for that event. And um, they're just like amazed at, you know, some days we have lots of hills, some days we have farm fields, some days we have, you know, we went through a state park and there were rocks everywhere. It's just, it's pretty cool. Well, and one more thing about Ragbri, you know, on this podcast, I talk a lot with the guests about um, camping or, you know, when you're out on your tour, are you, you know, fully loaded down, you've got your tent and your camp gear. And I just have to share with the listeners that, uh, Heather and I did Ragbri uh, maybe three or four years ago, and it was your first Ragbri. Is that correct? Your first full Ragbri. It was my first full Ragbri. Yes. And, and somehow, like we both were worked really hard at getting our all our gear together, <laughs> and we had 
our tent and our sleep gear and all this great stuff. And somehow we finagled our way into staying in a hotel room every single night of Ragbri. So there was zero camping involved. And we even had um, different vehicles hauling our gear every day. So <laughs> it was it was like a, a VIP experience. It was deluxe. It was deluxe. It was, <laughs> it was. We put in the miles, but we yes. did get to... Uh, we were pam- well, then the mini Winnie. Well, I was going to say, and then the second time we did the full week of Ragbri together... Um, once again, we did zero camping because you and Jeff had the RV, the Mini Winnie, and we had air conditioning and a great place Showers. to sleep and a shower every night. So um, I have no idea what your camping experience is, but I bet I will find out when we go to the Grand Canyon. Yes, sirree. Well, Heather, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really, uh, I, I always enjoy talking to you, but it's really fun to hear about your experiences of being a superstar triathlete and also, you know, all the fun that you have on your bicycle. For having me on. Thank you so much. Well, how about a touring tip? Let's talk bike lights. Bike lights are a necessity, even if you're not intending to ride your bicycle at night. You just never know when you may get caught out at dusk or if the weather changes quickly and it gets dark. As far as complying with state laws, every state's different, so be sure to check with the laws in your state. In Iowa, for example, state law requires a front lamp and a rear reflector from dusk till dawn. So when looking to purchase lights, you need to determine if you want to be seen or if you want to see or both. There are endless types of lights available and prices vary dramatically. A well-lit bicycle has front and rear lighting, even side lighting to ensure visibility to motorists. And a side note, uh, many tires come with reflective sidewalls, which don't offer you any light, so to speak, but when headlights are shined on them, they offer one more layer of visibility. Um, for example, I have the Schwalbe Marathon, but many brands make the reflective sidewall tires, so check those out. Back to lights. Lights are measured in lumens, which is defined as a unit of measurement that quantifies the amount of light falling on an object. So the higher the lumens, the more light. If you want light so you can see the road or the trail, you'll want to have higher lumens. If you want to be seen by motorists, you may not need as bright of a light. Uh, Typically, the higher the lumen, the higher the cost of the light. Uh, Many lights, especially the expensive lights, are rechargeable and can be recharged hundreds of times. So in the long run, you're really not paying a ton because you're not having to replace disposable batteries all the time. Now, rechargeable lights require a bit of planning so that you don't get stuck out in the dark because you forgot to charge your light. And let me tell you, that has happened to me a time or two. Uh, Lights can be attached to your handlebars or on your helmet. Uh, At night, when I know I'm going to be out biking, I use both. The light on my handlebars makes me more visible to motorists, and the light on my helmet directs light wherever I'm looking. Rear lights are also available with rechargeable options. They mount on your seat post or your back rack and usually clip off easily for recharging. Or if you want to attach it somewhere else like your helmet or your backpack. 
So when you go to purchase your lights, think about how powerful you need them to be, the battery setup if you want rechargeable or disposable, and how easy they are to take on and off. Um, avoid theft of lights if you can by taking those lights off when you need to lock your bike up. So whether you go to your local Walmart to pick up the cheapest lights available, or you go to your local bike shop and drop hundreds of dollars on those lights, it's important to have them. In my opinion, lights are a must to keep you safe on the road and to see what's ahead of you. There's your touring tip for this week. Well, that's it for today, listeners. Check out morphologypodcast.com and email me at morphologypodcast at gmail.com. I appreciate you, and thanks for taking the time to tune in and listen to the Morphology Podcast. I leave you with this quote from the unwritten book of Morphology. This quote comes from Roy T. Bennett. Attitude is a choice. Happiness is a choice. Optimism is a choice. Kindness is a choice. Respect is a choice. Whatever choice you make, make sure you choose wisely. Think about it.